Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the comments team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Now, the team here on Commons is just about over a week out from the finale of our season on Monopolies. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Jordan Cornish. I'm the producer of Commons. And today I'm sitting down with Commons host Archie Mann to talk about some of what we learned this season, the stories we didn't get a chance to cover, the ongoing saga of Galen Weston and Loblaws and the skyrocketing cost of food in this country. There's a lot to dig into, so let's just get into it. Hi, Archie. Hi, Jordan. So since we aired our last episode, Food Fight, which was our second episode that took a look at the grocery giants and specifically this one looked at Loblaws. Kenda's grocery CEOs were brought before a parliamentary committee and I guess interrogated by Jagmeet Singh about what the hell's been going on. So I've got my own feelings about all of this. Mostly I thought it was pretty silly and I don't know, just kind of gave them another platform to continue to sort of peddle some of the bad math that we talked about in the season. What were your thoughts about this exercise? What did you learn? Was it worthwhile? I do think it's worthwhile. You know, in in the US, you often have CEOs of major companies or people involved in a variety of different industries kind of hauled before Congress and interrogated. And, you know, most of the time you don't really get anything too definitive out of it. But I still think it's a good exercise. Whether or not we we got anything that's super substantive out of it, I'm still glad that we did it and that CEOs had to answer questions in this kind of public forum. And, you know, at least have this kind of pretend demonstration of being, you know, subservient to the government in Canada. Yeah, pretend demonstration is kind of how I felt about it. Like it was like the illusion of consequences. Yeah, but I mean, these kinds of things are always part theater and part fact finding mission. And you had both of those aspects really on display here. And it's theater for both the CEOs, but then obviously also for the parliamentarians. You know, you mentioned... Jagmeet Singh's kind of pressing of especially Galen Weston on how much profit is too much profit for a grocery business to be extracting. And, you know, 
he didn't really get any kind of answer that I think helps illuminate anything. But, well, you know, he did make the evening news, right? <laughs> yeah, and I guess that was probably kind of the point, right? Galen's like the most visible face. And, you know, if you're going to take shots at somebody, it should probably be that guy. Let's dig into that. How do you how do you think Galen did? And how did he stack up against the other CEOs who were also called? It was really interesting to watch the different ways that the CEOs approach this. And specifically, I'm going to focus in a little bit on, on Galen Weston, obviously the CEO of Loblaws, and Michael Medline, who is the CEO of Empire, which owns Sobeys and, you know, a million other grocery chains. You know, I thought Galen was pretty evasive on a lot of things. He had this one line that he kept returning to, which is the profits that the grocery companies make on a $25 basket of groceries is $1. And that's not totally surprising. The supermarket business is premised on the idea of having incredibly low profit margins and incredibly high volume. So, yes, even during this inflationary time, that's going to hold largely true, at least compared to other industries that might have fatter profit margins. But I also think it's pretty misleading because the Loblaw companies are not just a grocery retailer, right? And Galen Weston sometimes used this to his advantage rhetorically, and sometimes he obscured that fact when it wasn't to his advantage. So, for instance, when it came to talking about profits, Weston kept pointing to other business lines that the Loblaw Group owns. So specifically pharmaceuticals through things like Shoppers Drug Mart or clothing through companies like Joe Fresh and saying that this is really where a lot of their increase in profits, which have been increasing pretty substantially over the last year, right? This is an undeniable fact, but saying that that's really where it's coming from. Of course, he provides no proof of this because Loblaws, like the other grocery companies, do not break out their earnings publicly around different lines of businesses. We really just have to take their word for it. And then at the same time, he kept pointing to this $1 on every $25 worth of groceries. And that might be true for the retailers, but you have to remember, Loblaws is more than just a grocery retailer, right? They own companies and products up and down the supply chain through their private label brands like President's Choice. They're a food manufacturer, right? They own distribution arms as well. And so they're extracting profit at various levels of the supply chain. And so I don't think that that $1 over for every $25 worth of groceries uh, really reflects that. You know, I want to contrast this a little bit with, say, Michael Medline's performance. As I said, he's the CEO of Empire Co. You know, Michael Medline is, I felt like, gave a much, much better performance than Galen Weston. He really came off as more forthright and... You could also see some of the competitive tensions between the two companies come up in Medline's testimony and in his answers. You know, he kept pointing to this grocery supply code of conduct. Now, this is an initiative that's kind of been in the works for many years. Other countries have similar codes of conduct that constrain the grocery industry and in how they deal with their vendors and their suppliers. And a common complaint for many years amongst suppliers for grocery stores is, especially in recent years, that they're being charged these ludicrous fees by the big chains. But more specifically, 
by Loblaws, right? And Michael Medline has, over the last few years, made it a real point of differentiation of his company between Loblaws to try and side with the vendors and try and get something in place that would rebalance that relationship. And of course, it would probably hurt Loblaws, which isn't bad for Empire. But, you know, at the same time, like, it was clear that Galen Weston was really not that interested in this. You know, Galen Weston's line throughout the testimony seemed to be, just let us be. Guys, why won't you just let us do our thing? We're so good. Yeah, we're homegrown heroes. We're a Canadian success story. Exactly. Whereas, you know, Medline, at least, he felt more like an honest broker. Another thing that kind of stood out to me was that, you know, all the grocers kind of brought up that there are American grocers that also operate in Canada. So if we're doing a parliamentary committee, everyone's getting dragged over to this thing to talk. You know, where's Walmart? Where's Costco? And this kind of stood out to me because I feel like it taps into this like real Canadian tactic that like Commons has talked about a bunch this season over multiple episodes, which is just fear of American expansion into Canada. We like our monopolies to be Canadian because the alternative is big, scary American companies will come in. They're going to set up camp. I mean, like, I feel like this colors so much of the way that we arrange society here. So, like, how did you respond when that kind of kept coming up? I mean, it was the place where the grocery CEOs were clearly the most united, was really pointing to, like, wait, where the hell's Walmart? Where the hell's Costco? And you know what? They weren't totally wrong, right? Like, I'd be interested to hear from representatives of those companies at a hearing like this because they do have substantial market share in Canada. Together, the five big chains, including those two American ones, make up about 80% of the Canadian market, which, as we pointed out, is exceptionally concentrated compared to most other countries. And so, yeah, why, why wouldn't they be there? But it is a very useful line of attack, as you mentioned. This is the classic way in which Canadian monopolies, oligopolies, are able to get whatever they want in Canada. And you could see it really working on the parliamentarians. You know, they were basically unanimous in their agreement being like, yep, yep, this was an oversight. Yep, Walmart, Costco. So yeah, I think it's a very effective tactic. But, you know, it doesn't take responsibility away from these big Canadian conglomerates. I think another thing that, that became really clear is that there's good reason for us to, to mistrust these companies and that people are, that even parliamentarians were often pretty, across the board, pretty skeptical of these CEOs. And the bread price fixing scandal, I think, has a lot to do with it. You know, I found it interesting that both uh, Michael Medline and the CEO of Metro LaFleche were pretty adamant in their denials that either of their companies engaged in any price fixing of the bread market. Obviously, Galen Weston can't say that because Loblaws has already admitted that they were part of a criminal conspiracy to fix the price of bread. I, I don't know whether or not Metro or Empire engaged in bread price fixing. That investigation is still ongoing. But if any of this is true, and obviously we have some good reason to think so, at least from Loblaws' perspective, that means that one of Canada's biggest companies was engaging in a giant criminal conspiracy, right? Like Galen Weston was overseeing a criminal organization, right? And so they were lying for a decade. You know, what would stop them from, from lying now? Galen Weston also kept pointing to the fact that, you know, as a publicly traded company, they have a legal obligation to tell the truth about the state of their finances. Also kept pointing to the fact that the company's financials have been audited. Well, you know, we've seen how far audited financials can be manipulated in the past. But one thing that was unclear to me was whether or not these companies are providing uh, broken down financials so that you can actually see 
how much money they're making from their different business lines to the Competition Bureau. Right now, the Competition Bureau is engaging in a market study of the grocery industry. And this was a point that kept coming up over and over again from questioning by parliamentarians was whether or not they're going to provide that broken down information to the Competition Bureau so that they can do their job because the Competition Bureau under Canadian law cannot compel them to do so. And they were, again, kind of wishy-washy about this. So I don't know from this hearing whether or not we're actually going to get a good investigation from the Competition Bureau because they might not have the information that they need to be able to tell us to what extent corporate concentration is actually affecting grocery inflation. So let's talk about the season, at least from where I'm sitting. You know, I think it's resonated with listeners. I've heard really cool things, which is nice. How how's it sitting with you? I mean, I feel both very tired because that's always how we kind of feel at the end of a season, uh, just because, you know, an enormous amount of work goes into making this stuff. But also, I kind of wish we had time to do do more. There's a lot of other industries, a lot of other aspects of these industries that I think our listeners could have benefited from hearing. But You know, for me, the big question was just like, okay, answering for myself, like, is there something about Canada? Is this actually different? And, you know, I I think we did settle on an answer. Like, yeah, Canada does work a bit differently when it comes to corporate concentration than other countries do. And that's both because of culture, because of history and because of law. It kind of makes me feel better because I don't feel like I'm kind of being gaslit, you know, like I can see that it does suck a little bit more here. And so just having that knowledge makes me feel a little more content. Yeah, I do too. I feel like I have clearer answers now as to why things kind of suck, which feels good. Yeah, exactly. When you think about this season, what are some of the stories that you wish that you could have told? What are some of the things that we talked about and just didn't quite get to the finish line? I mean, I think rail would have been a really interesting one yeah. just because it is the most classic monopoly and it's something that uh, has really shaped Canada, whether it's Canadian Pacific, you know, Canadian National. These are gargantuanly important companies in the history of Canada and still exert a lot of power within our, our kind of politics and in our economy. And I think it was uh, Keldon Bessner who said to us that, like, when you're talking about monopolies, like, everything turns into a conversation about rail, right? <laughs> because it is, like, the, the kind of foremost example of it. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the things that surprised you as we were going through this? Like, I know you became a bit of a supply management defender, and that was sort of interesting. That was an area where I came in with a very specific viewpoint. And talking to people and doing some research, my opinion changed pretty radically. You know, I think like a lot of journalists, I had a pretty critical view of the supply management regime as a whole and that it must clearly mean higher prices for consumers, worse quality, and that we're all just kind of in bed with this big, you know, cartel that controls our politics. And some aspects of that are true. I think there's a lot of places where supply management is done poorly. It needs clearly substantial reform. And the weird hold it has over our politicians, I still find kind of strange and off-putting. But at the same time, when I'm trying to think about ways now in which we can kind of fight off monopolization and corporate concentration, supply management strikes me as one of the best answers that Canadians have come up with. 
take the poultry industry, for instance. In the United States, poultry is controlled utterly by a small number of companies. It has been described as basically one of the most powerful and kind of terrifying monopolies in the U.S. And here, you know, a cartel of small producers been able to kind of hold that off. I think without supply management, we'd have the exact same situation here. And so when we're looking at ways in which to resist corporate concentration, allowing smaller companies and smaller suppliers to kind of band together strikes me as a pretty decent solution. It's a pretty creative kind of solution and one that I think we could use as an example in order to balance both consumer interests, producer interests. In the case of, of agricultural goods like this as well, the interests of animals, right? Like these giant industrial farms that you see in the U.S. that contribute horrifically to animal cruelty, that's substantially less here because of, of supply management. You said something in our last episode that I think is important. Uh, it was along the lines of, you know, if Canadians believe that governments would do something to lower the costs of things like cell phone bills or grocery bills, that party would just sail into power. But I think we all on some level in Canada know that we allow companies to dictate our politics in a certain way. And there's a lot of frustration and anger right now about a lot of these companies. But there feels like there's really no like real energy around legislation or any kind of actionable solutions. Because we all have this feeling that no matter who's in power, they're going to stick to the status quo. So what do you think the individual can do? Like, what is the move? Well, I'll say for the next two weeks, there's something like pretty substantial that people can do. Right now, the Competition Act uh, is about to undergo a review, which we've talked about a little bit during our season. But basically, they're asking for people in the public to comment on the kinds of changes that they should make. And... You know, I think our audience has become much more uh, educated on this topic. So if you have thoughts about that, you can take it right to the government and they'll have to take that into consideration. So this is actually a kind of weird moment where people can have a little bit of, of an impact on that. But to talk about your broader point, you know, I think this is one of the most corrosive effects of monopoly power is that it makes people feel like the democratic process is useless and not wrongly. It doesn't matter which of the parties, right, that they really anybody would really make a big difference on any of this right now. I, I just really don't. Um, and maybe I'm just too cynical on that. And that's very possible. But I think a lot of Canadians feel that way as well. But that's what happens when you feel like your government is actually being run by and for a small number of corporations instead of the mass of of people who actually live in the country. And so, you know, there's always a lot of talk about kind of restoring people's faith in politics, getting people more involved in the electoral process. But I think a necessary precondition to that is to make Canadians feel like their voice matters more than the lobbying efforts of a tiny number of incredibly powerful conglomerates and monopolists. Thank you, Archie. Thanks, Jordan.
If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, Arshi, at CanadaLand.com. This episode was produced by me and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Annette Egiafor, and our music is by Nathan Burley. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. And you'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.